Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It is just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. This is Series 15, Episode 27 of Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Heindhoff, live from a, a damp centre of England. At the, everything looks very green. Uh, and of course we've had two and a half, three months of gorgeous weather. Today's the first day of international cricket and it's absolutely thrown it down uh, today. Proof of proof we needed that all you've got to do to get rain is put out uh, three sets of stu- three stumps either end of a 22-yard pitch and have two guys in white coats come out. You'll get rain anywhere. Up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. BBC's cricket highlight show will feature every ball. Oh, what? There was about eight overs, I think. No, about, they did oh, a little bit right more now. after the second rain today. Okay, fine. Uh, this evening uh, we went a bit Mexican on the food because the uh, responsible adult and I have been watching the brilliant Rick Stein's uh, Road to Mexico. Uh, and thank you to Sue Chef as well. He won a little competition and we got a box of Mexican goodies. So uh, Rick Stein's uh, Road to Mexico book was pushed into uh, into uh, use this evening and I'm, I'm replete. Uh, on a patch show tonight, Tim, we have what? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out it was just John and Eve that enjoyed the Mexican food. Uh, yes, true. No, no one else invited tonight. Uh, on no. a patch show tonight, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, we have uh, news in English. We might have some news in Spanish. We might have a point of stress release of the week. Uh, we've got a big interview. Uh, which, yes, we have. Which uh, is sort of previewing the European Le Mans series because... Uh, Zalgarve Pro Racing. Uh, Correct, Stuart Cox. Stuart Cox. I was trying to remember his first name. I'm thinking, can't get Former it. Former Formula One employee with uh, Racing Point. Uh, well, I think it was probably Force India in his day. Uh, might be Midland or Jordan or someone like that, even. True enough. NFI. Um, Lots and of racing we'll be joined the by Nick and Shay as well. Plus, yeah. we're going to look ahead to all of this weekend's racing, and we might look back to some of last weekend's racing as well. Uh, and should say right about now, we've been putting this together. We weren't sure whether we would get this done, but there will be, on a big Wednesday, an extra programme again tonight. Stay tuned. After Midweek Motorsport, we'll be joined by programme manager for Corvette Racing, Doug Feehan, in an exclusive interview as we celebrate and honour 100 IMSA victories for Corvette Racing. That comes up at 10 o'clock tonight. More about that a bit later on. Let's have a look at the tweets. At Specutainment, please. 
uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us tonight. Oh my goodness, there's been uh, an awful lot. Daniel Summerskill says, I'll be listening to the podcast in the morning. Great to see the C8R uh, win in GT Le Mans last weekend. As we've just mentioned, yes, absolutely. Hello to Liam Redford, to Paul Dunk, who's listening to the first half of the fall, first time in a wee while, and to uh, also to uh, Alexander Orkin, no AFA's uh, cracking evening meal after Freya's bag ball. May even escape to the shed if I can get out the washing up as well. Uh, good luck with that, Alex. Uh, Spooner in orange, no AFA's tonight. Final show before getting back in orange for only the second time in 2020 he's marshalling at Donington Park this weekend Serafina Chu uh, just saw the news Alonso it is going back to F1 in Renault the game of musical chairs continues more of your tweets in a moment but Tim you have something yes some a survey I saw earlier today uh, suggests that 39% of people who listen, or no, people who listen to podcasts are 39% more likely to do what than people who listen to live radio? Walk their dogs? No. Um, listen to all of it? No. That's definitely tweet, not true. Tweet. Tweet into the show that they're listening to? No. Um, Something completely obscure? Uh, be a vegetarian. Close. I have no clue. Really? They're 39.5% more likely to own a hybrid or electric car. What, if you download a podcast? Yes. Okay. Is that because so many people um, who own electric or hybrid cars have a Tesla which has a built-in podcast application and therefore can easier listen to them? I'd say it is the biggest brand, certainly in the US, isn't it? Probably not in Europe anymore, now that VW and Volvo and Skoda have got so many electric cars out. Uh, At Speculatement, would like to hear your thoughts on that. Angry Pothole is (laughs) listening live tonight. He says, I found my son's old PS3 earlier, so I'm playing Gran Turismo 5. Uh, And (laughs) apparently, this already in from one of our contributors, you can guess which one. Uh, the reason that people who have electric or hybrid cars uh, download podcasts more, or vice versa, is they need something to listen to whilst they're waiting for it to charge. Okay. David Monks, no AFAs, drinking a cold beer in Burgundy, not far from Circuit Dijon Premois. Uh, Carol Brink, both tuned in tonight uh, in Monterey, California. Oliver Giles, evening run completed, relaxed. And ready to enjoy midweek motorsport. Excited for the RC Racing review and analysis on a F1 season opener that wasn't exactly very exciting, he says with tongue-in-cheek. Right turn lover, dutifully and joyfully tuning in tonight. Very good. Alan Bradley, uh, not far from my folks, uh, took great delight in telling me how warm it is too. Neil Gardner, I was soundproofing the... Uh, the new VW Caddy Camper, which has been named Susie Wolfsburg, which I think is fantastic. Finishing the secret drawing project uh, and listening to the world's greatest magazine, Motorsport Magazine, so very kind. Uh, Vizcard, I uh, hope you're brimming with joy after the return of Full Metal Racing. We've had a couple of races already, but yes, listening live tonight, says Simon Hoff. Should get the final answer on the five-second penalty from 
RC Racing. I, I, I don't even know where to start with that. A tad warm, says Phil Anson, looking to chill with the team. 38.4 degrees for fabulous Phil in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai, not too far uh, from Dubai Autodrome in Motor City. David Rally live again, no football worth watching. You have my full attention. Listening live for the second week in a row, says Jack Gabriel. Jonathan Main, listening, the, uh, hoping you have a minute to talk about the Rally Nordic Magic Re-End, Full Metal Rally Cross. And Marcus Grunholm doing what he does well. What, hanging out with... No, that was... Wasn't Marcus Grunholm, was it? That was Harry Vatnan. No, yes. sorry, moving on. Daniel Leslie, uh, I'm learning to enjoy this four summer vacation, tending to my vines, bursting clouds, and enjoying Lakefront IPA. Apologies for absence for him there. Uh, Patrick Dron is listening. Andrew Gord is listening for the first time in a while. 5am on this winter morning in Australia. Hello, Andrew. Good morning. Andrew Mather, no apologies for absence this week. Jack Moore Martin, editing my recent work for the first rally in Australia this year whilst listening in. Another Antipodean listener. Paul Dunk, uh, we mentioned... Listening in, Stephen Gardner, just remember to tune in. Dave Alcock as well, enjoyed the coverage of the 240 uh, at Daytona this weekend. Uh, Nick Hollands, Dedrick Baker, both listening live as well as Andrew Muggeridge. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And here's the top story. Uh, keep your bits and pieces coming in to spec your team and... And Tim Gray has something a bit special for us. What do you got? Uh, well, first of all, can we introduce uh, Nick Damon? Well, that's not how you do it. Good evening, Nick Damon. Still not how you do it. If you're going to do it... I need and to get say the... hello to Nick Damon, and then I need to talk about what we're going to talk about. All right, good so evening, I get Nick. something else. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Right, OK, so now we've established that Nick is actually connected in the middle of the carbon fibre triangle. Now we can do this. It's time for Formula One. Hooray! There's only one place we can start tonight. And that is... Is it with Dougal or Brian? And has Zebedee told everyone it's time for bed yet? It's not time for bed yet. You've got another two hours, 45 minutes before you go to I bed. was expecting a different piece of music tonight, if, if We I'm enjoyed honest. that so much on Twitter earlier that uh, we don't need it again. Emma Thompson's dad, who did the... Uh, uh, Eric Thompson, who did the translation from French... Uh, well, actually, it wasn't a translation from French into English. because the French, the French version, version of the Magic Roundabout... Like that. No, it was a political satire, and Eric T- Thompson brilliantly turned it into a children's uh, um, uh, children's uh, entertainment show. That was the magic roundabout. So uh, what are we talking about here, Tim? We're not going to talk about pizza ovens, even right. though I know that you uh, went and had some pizza from a pizza oven at the weekend, didn't you? Very nice it was as well. Thank you very much, Sharon and Fran. The the the, the What I can... From what I can tell, the biggest selling brand of pizza oven reminds me of a character from the Magic Roundabout. Which one? Dylan? Eva Ledner. All right, okay. Because of the legs. Uh, okay. We're not going to talk anyway, about that. We're on. going to talk about Fernando Alonso. Hang on, Eva Ledner wasn't from the Magic no, that Roundabout. that wasn't from the Magic Roundabout. Oh, that was Willow Wisp, wasn't it? Yes, you're right. Yes. Ermintrude. Ermintrude. Fantastic Ken Williams. Yes. yes. Moving on. 
Can we get to the magic roundabout, which I presume is the magic roundabout of driver seats, is so it? So Fernando Alonso is going back to Renault, Nick Damon. Yes. Um, again, are we, no one's particularly surprised face. Hang on, hang on. Formula One tweeted, sensational. Yeah, well, not, that's not how I define sensational. Um, how about um, expected? Perhaps, you know, in fairness, a little bit early. I mean, they might have strung it out a bit longer. They had no reason to announce this particular time. So the, the, the new cycle was, wasn't particularly empty because it was still digesting what had happened at the weekend. But um, Massively highly trailed as well by uh, Fernando himself. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, as, as you know, when we saw when Sebastian Vettel got elbowed out of uh, Ferrari a few months ago um, and we've found out more about that over the over the course of the last week and it said he's very upset about the whole thing and effectively he was, that they must have decided in a meeting he wasn't involved in. He was no longer wanted. Uh, no contract, no nothing, no offer, anything. Just, uh, yeah, thanks. For, thanks. But no, thanks. You're out. Um, and it seems like I think he, he sat there going, what, what? I think he felt like a, like a, like a dumped girlfriend. What, what, what have I done? What have I done wrong? What can I, how can I make it up? I don't know. But no, they've moved on and they're already on Tinder and they managed to get hold of a Carlos Sainz uh, to go to Ferrari. Uh, Danny Rick um, hopped shipped immediately from uh, uh, Renault. He did what? McLaren. Hopped ship. Oh, OK, fine. Sorry, <laughs> my ears were a bit odd there. Jump ship. Yeah, I, okay, I, I, right, okay. Yeah, I, I must admit, I think I may have slightly mangled the P the first time around. Okay, um, <laughs> Which may sound worse. Uh, so, so then we had a gap over at Renault, and then you sit around going, well, is, yeah, the, what are Renault going to do? Are they going to um, get Sebastian Vettel, which no. was relatively unlikely for financial reasons and the fact that he's a bit of a spent force? Uh, or were they going to promote one of their juniors? Or were they going to kind of, you know, go back for a you know, three, th- th- third time's a charm to, you know, Fernando Alonso and realistically um, they've made the practical decision in the short term and possibly the only decision that means they might have a medium term Mm. Uh, but of course it's the wrong hang hang on hang on but of course it's absolutely the wrong decision according to all the internet experts some who should know better because it it absolutely should be a young person uh, and so I'm going to ask you the question that I would like to have asked everybody who posted that today. Which young driver could it have been? Because ter- I can only think of one potential Renault development driver who is anywhere near getting into Formula One. And that would be the lad Zhao, who did a pretty decent job at the weekend. But I, I still don't think he's close enough, Nick. No, and, and realistically, if we actually sit down and, and think about it, the situation that Renault are in is at best precarious. They, they need to convince the board that coming out of these straightened times um, through the, out of the COVID-19 pandemic and with absolutely no commitments to stay after this, don't forget they are not supplying anyone else with engines so they can completely pull out and no one, no one will be affected but themselves as of the start of next season. Cyril Beatable and the rest of the gang have to convince Renault that it's worth continuing this Formula One journey. Mm. Now, given the fact that we have established over the past um, several weeks, uh, I think quite well, that the reason that Formula One works for motor manufacturers is marketing. That's why it pays for itself. That's why it's actually a profit center when you, when you work it out. You have to think, right, if I'm going to try and sell marketing for Renault, do I want to have Esteban Ocon and 
Jangging Zhou, who no one has really heard of. Apparently, Zoo, um, you've got to say it's Zoo. Zoo. Alex is, was oh, the only one who oh. got it right at the weekend. Alex oh, okay, Brundle. Okay. No, Zoo, okay. Uh, who is talented uh, and obviously has a, a, a place as potentially the first Chinese driver to make an F1, but still is a nobody and isn't going to sell any cars anywhere, probably not even in China, compared to Fernando Alonso, who is the, you know, arguably the biggest name in, in motorsport uh, in, in many ways, certainly up there with. with uh, Lewis and others, and, and he can he can do, dominate the, the, the column inches. He can bring a complete set of, uh, of fans and, and supporters back in. He can re-energize the Spanish market, which is dead as far as Liberty are concerned at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he yeah, he is fantastic. And having him in your Renault car means you will sell Renaults. So well, I, I suspect that even at, even as we are talking now, the new Fernando Limited Edition. Uh, Renault Clio RS Sport is is already on the on the drawing board. To oh, be honest, Camoa, it'll be the Camoa version, won't it? He'll get it in his little blue and orange colours. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's it's I, this whole thing about this obsession with young drivers is quite interesting because for a while everyone's obsessed with old drivers. Hence the reason that Kimi Raikkonen kept getting rehired, and now everyone's obsessed with young drivers. Well, we've got enough young drivers. We don't need any more. We've got you know, it's not. You know, <laughs> We've got Norris, and we've got uh, Russell, and we've got uh, Charles Leclerc, and we've got Max Verstappen, and we've got, you know, and so there's a whole plethora of young drivers. In fact, there isn't that many senior drivers. So let's bring a senior driver back in again. I think uh, speaking of someone of the more uh, mature age group, I, I, want, I want to be able to relate to some of the drivers and have one who's only 15 years younger than me rather than 30 years younger than me. Yeah, good idea. Uh, okay, uh, I... It, Tim has has a question for you about what this might kick off. Tim, well, before that, you described oh. uh, uh, Fettel as uh, someone who is too expensive and too old to go to Renault. So I did. No, I said he was too. Uh, his space was spent force. Didn't say Sorry, that's spent force. Yes, yes. Also said spent he was expensive. Do with age. Um, but yeah. is Alonso not too expensive? Alonso yeah. won't be taking the money. I don't think it's about money for Alonso. Do you, Nick? I'm sure he'll be getting a reasonable wedge, but it won't be ridiculous. He won't bet, be on the tenth. Here's a bet. Ricardo was on. I was going to say. I was just going to say. Here's a bet. I bet he doesn't get what Ricardo was on. No, it'd be a lot less. I mean, it, but don't forget. You know, so, it, Fernando A is, is very, very comfortable, and B understands all the marketing pull through he can do himself with his various brands. So, you know, he get being in F1, his sub brands sell far more kit than him just being on the outside mm. sniping about it. What might this kick off, Tim? Uh, the Magic Roundabout. But not necessarily having we, to I mean, wait. We already know what's happening at, for next year now, but there are some uh, people, including uh, some prominent former drivers, uh, who think that this could all kick off as soon as Spain this year and that Vettel will be out of Ferrari and that everyone will move to their 2021 seats uh, from the... What's that, sixth race of this year? And, and how, who does this benefit? I mean, this is a, it, what benefit is that to any of the people involved? Because we'll start with Ferrari. They still have to play Fettel for the next rest of the year. Right. Then we'll go to McLaren. Why do they want to put a new driver in who doesn't know the car when they've got Saints, who's perfectly good, who does know the car and can score points? Then let's go to Renault. Why do Renault want to kick out their established driver who's most likely to score points and knows the car to put in someone who doesn't know the car, regardless of the fact that they are Fernando Alonso and he's two years out of not being in a car? And you're Fernando Alonso. Why on earth do you want to go and put yourself in the, in the spotlight with absolutely no preparation when you're actually trying to get ready for Indy? 
It's absolute balderdash. What, what about this, though, Nick? How about getting Fernando after Indy? Because that's undoubtedly for me. I agree with you there. I don't think anything will happen. Even if anything was to happen this season, I can't see anything happening with Fernando before Indy. That's got to be his focus. That's one of the things he wants to put the tick in the box for. After that, can you see Fernando... Uh, can you hear him, uh, in the car on a Friday morning in Ricciardo's car doing the first FP session? Well, uh, Abitable was asked this and said he didn't, see, didn't think there was much point of it because it's not like um, Fernando doesn't know how an FP1 session works. It's not like Fernando doesn't know uh, how to, you know, the ins and outs of F1. Um, so he thinks it's unlikely that they, he wasn't ruling out doing some runs with a two-year-old car just getting back to speed again. So... It but it's the like same that. car next year. I, th- I, I think that Cyril being a little bit... Um... No, it might be. But I mean, I, th- I, I know what he's saying. It's, 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 it's a limited value. But then again, we haven't found out how much pre-season testing we're going to get yet. And if it is mm. completely st- scratched down to nothing, then you may well see Fernando being one of the young drivers at the end of uh, coming out of Abu Dhabi. Mm. Okay. Uh, what else... Spanish do you want to Grand talk about... Prix is only a week before Indy, so maybe they do it for the Belgian Grand Prix, which yes. is the week after Indy. Yeah. Maybe they don't do it at all. I think they'll do it. Alex Young do you thinks think, they'll you do think it. think Ferrari... You think Ferrari will I th- sack I th- Fettel? I, th- I think the relationship between Fettel and Ferrari is so sour now that they will not job. have any issues with uh, Seb walking away. But what is the advantage to them? What are they going to get out of putting someone else in the car and paying the $15 million to Seb and then paying a release fee to McLaren? What are they going to get out of that that's going to give them more performance this year? What sort of performance did Seb give them at the weekend? I know we're not supposed wow. to be talking at the weekend. Of, of, no, that, yeah, well, that, we're talking about drivers at, at the moment. But yes, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I'm, I, I've been saying for a very long time that... Um, that I thought Sebastian's head wasn't in the game. And I thought at the weekend there was a great opportunity given everything that was happening. And, uh, you know, and both Nick and Joe said it would only go one of two ways. There'd be no middle ground in our Formula One preview. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it again. Because prophetic, absolutely prophetic. And we did that show uh, in uh, on the Wednesday, straight after Midweek Motorsport last week, before a wheel had been turned at the Red Bull ring. Uh, and it was an opportunity with the pressure off for Seb to go and wipe the floor with uh, with Leclerc. He didn't. He looked poor. The car looked awful, in fairness, as well. But then again, Leclerc, Leclerc uh, dragged uh, a result out of her, and, and Seb didn't. I've been saying for a long time, Nick, that I, 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 I wasn't sure he finished last season. I think he might do uh, the next race in Austria. I'm not sure whether he'll be in the car at the Hungarian ring. Um, I don't think he'll finish even this short season, if I'm honest. Uh, you know, you, no one can get inside the mind of uh, the the driver and the desire, but it's more a case of, 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 of how you put in the replacement strategy, and I don't think it falls into it falls into place anything like as conveniently. And I'll tell you the one reason it falls into place. I don't think Fernando wants to drive an F1 car this year in anger. I really don't. He doesn't need to. He just needs he to learn he... it for next year. Yes, but you when can't learn it. Car. You can't learn it if you're in the race because then people are expecting you to do your do your thing. Yeah. You know, you know, and so I, 
he's not a fool. He's managed his entire like yeah his entire career very carefully. I mean, obviously wrongly many times, but carefully. Um, no, I, I just I mean, you know, I have been. I just can't see it. And I, I think it would be a, one of those situations which is actually a lose, lose, lose for everybody. Well, and, but here's the other thing, Nick. Even if Sebastian does walk away, which I still think is a possibility, uh, then I, I don't think that signs will go across. I'm with you on that. But I still think there's a possibility that, that Fettel won't finish the season and, and then Ferrari can, can stick somebody else in for the rest of the year. Well, they could do, but I'm not sure who the hell it would be because um, their reserve drivers are, uh, uh, I think, you know, I don't even know who the prize official reserve driver is, actually. It's, and are we yeah, all... Are we, are we all... Uh, Kimi Vikingen, isn't it? Yeah, well, could yeah, be, you sure. could do there's worse there, could than be. that. There um, probably would be a promotion. You're right there, Tim. Yeah. I, I, now, are we all of the all of the mind then that 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 if Seb does that if that that even at the end of the season that Seb's Formula One career is now finished. He is so Nick um, out of his depth as he looked at the weekend that he that he's not going to be taken on by anybody at the sharp end of the grid, even if there was a gap, which there isn't. Well, he didn't do that. But the last five or six races of last year, he was pretty good, barring the accident in Brazil. Um, he, he didn't... Yeah, we're not allowed to talk about this race yet, but he, he, he wasn't covering himself in glory over the last weekend. No. Uh, and it really depends how he bounces back from that. Great. Um, but, yeah, I can't see him having a drive for next year. Then it's what he wants to do moving forward. Does he want to stop driving? Does he want to go and drive something else? Does he want to come back to F1? If he's going to come back to F1, it'll be somewhere which is paying a lot less money. Does that matter to him? He is one of the people who's always said that he's you know, very interested in, this, in, the, in the records and the history and everything else. So I don't know. But I think the, you know, but it's not particularly looking good for him. He didn't, didn't make the start he would have hoped for. He has got several more races, to put it right. Um, hopefully with a better car. Possibly from this weekend, almost certainly from the Hungaro ring, but how much better, who knows? Uh, uh, Matthew Hyman says, I think Vettel's only hope this year is to go out and win the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, right turn lover, will this Alonso engagement at Renault turn out to be another PR dumpster fire uh, to put out? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, well that's, you know. Nico Hulkenberg is a lot to offer, says Neil Gardner. Uh, he would have been hungry after being dumped out for Ocon. Can't help think that Alonso is a big publicity stunt to bring in money to save the team, which is what you said as well, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, wind changer says, oh, I vote PR dumpster fire. Can't be as bad as keeping Vettel in, though. Okay. Uh, fair, fair enough. Uh, and uh, so keep your, keep your thoughts coming in on that. Uh, Nick, don't go too far away. Yeah, as uh, later this hour we'll be uh, getting Nick's thoughts on the opening Grand Prix of the season, the Austrian Grand Prix. Just a couple of final tweets before we move on. Andrew Mather says, stick Kimi in Seb seats for a couple of races at least. Promote Mick Jr. the Sauber once his F2 campaign is done. Now I'm being silly, aren't I? Mm. Would Alfa Romeo be able to stop Ferrari from putting Reitman in the car? And says Donnell. And TJ Breen says, has Seb quickly become a Mika Hacken in 2.0 circa 2001? Well, let, let me answer one of those tweets. Um, Sauber obviously isn't Sauber, it's Alfa Romeo. Uh, yes, but, but we know what he meant. Uh, this Still weekend, Sauber. they're putting Robert Kubica in the car for free practice. Are they? 
That's interesting. All right, uh, Nick, don't go away. Uh, we're on Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 27, at Specutainment. If you'd like to get in touch with us, where would you like to take us next, uh, Tim Gray? I'd like to take you to Sebring. You might not want oh, to go to you. Sebring, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure you don't have a choice. Uh, Sebring is where the next round of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is being held, and uh, it will be joined by the Michelin Pilot Challenge. And to and talk the about the entry lists for both of those, which were published a short time ago, is Shay Adam. Hello, Shay. Hello, Tim. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, a, a, an entry list. Let's start with. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. We'll we'll talk about what happened last weekend in a wee moment, but this has just dropped, so let's get into this straight away. Um, we have got uh, eight prototype entries, which are all the usual suspects. Yes, they are. Uh, four LMP2s, more five LMP2s in a moment, six GT Le Mans cars, uh, and uh, ten... GTDs. Let's start with DPI, Shea. Where's the stories there? Uh, just one, as far as I can see from the entry list. Of course, we're expecting Felipe Nasser to come back after he was diagnosed with uh, COVID-19 on the way up to Daytona. So he did not participate, meaning that Pipo is now alone on points. But Stephen Simpson's name is listed against the banana boat, mm. the yellow Cadillac DPI, number 85 which he will be sharing with Tristan Vaudier. This is a change we were expecting to see Chris Miller in this car once again, but he has stepped aside, and instead it's our favourite South African who's getting another go in the car. I, I think he counts as uh, US now. He's a US citizen, isn't he? Uh, yeah, true. Made, made that, uh, although that's a mistake on the entry list, made that change a couple of years ago. Um, first round of the LMP2 Championship and a, and a relatively healthy five entries. Correct. We have every car back that ran at the Daytona 24 hours. But as you rightly point out, that was not a points paying race. That was strictly a watch paying race. So we've (laughs) we've got the five cars back, uh, all but one with an eight in their number. Tower Motorsport full season entrant for John Ferrano, the Canadian and Ryan Vial. We've got Era Motorsport back again, White Merriman and Kyle Tilley. Again, those were the two we were expecting. Performance Tech with their regular duo of Cameron Castles and Kyle Masson. It's the PR1 Matheson car that has a big question mark over it right now because, of course, we reported on it last week. Simon Trimmer not taking up his role as the lead driver in that car. Patrick Kelly is the bronze, though, so we wait to see who he will be teamed with for the Sebring round. And then the other story that came as a little bit of a surprise is Gustavo Menezes mm-hmm. is listed in the Dragon Speed Orica alongside Henrik Hedman. So that's the car that won the Rolex. They had uh, Colin Brown on their roster for the Rolex. He has been listed as the endurance driver for the Arab Motorsport team, so he was not available to drive. But it's interesting to see Gustavo back in the car. Uh, we'll come to GT Le Mans in a moment because I want to talk about that in the context of the 240 at the weekend. Ten GTD entries. And I'm quite impressed with that uh, for a total of 29 cars. Uh, so that's, in fact, an uptick uh, um, on what we saw 
uh, at the weekend. And the reason I'm impressed with the GTD entry shares, this is a points paying round only for the sprint championship. So we've actually uh, lost a couple of cars from the 240, but only a couple of cars from the 240. And and to see 29 cars from the from the second for the second round of the race for IMSA, I've said anything in the mid-20s is very good indeed. I think 29 cars here is exceptional. Couple, couple of cars in GTD that aren't there, and it's a significant pair, but they're not looking to score points for the sprint championship. We only have one Acura in the field, and that comes in the hands of Gradient Racing with Till Bechtelsheimer and Mark Miller, which we knew that they were going for the sprint championship Correct. along with Team Hardpoint and, of course, Compass not doing the endurance races for those teams. But we do not see either of the Meyer Shank Racing Acuras. So both of those cars not going for the Sprint Championship. They are going for the Michelin Endurance Cup and for the full-blown GTD Championship. But that means it's the first race where we see only the one Acura. So that's a big surprise to see on the entry list. Uh, let's, but still a, a very, very, as I say, a very, very good and competitive entry in in GT Daytona. GT Le Mans. It's the three manufacturers uh, and the six cars exactly uh, as we uh, expected um the big story there of course comes from last weekend uh, and uh, that was the 100th IMSA win for Corvette yes which was a very long time coming I loved what um Richard Prince who's the official team photographer for Corvette Racing he said that he had made up a banner and had been carrying it around <laughs> with him ever since the last win, which came at Long Beach 2018. He was so superstitious about leaving the banner at home and then possibly needing it that he had been lugging it around for more than 700 days to all these different races, finally got to use it. And man, it was just such a sweet victory. That I especially feel for Antonio Garcia, who for the last, what, five years has dealt with the replay of the Corvette battle when it was he versus Oliver Gavin. Mm. And right at the line, Gavin was a nose ahead, meaning that Ollie, Tommy, and Marcel walked away with the watches, and Antonio had to watch the replay over and over and over again of him losing. Now he's got a brilliant replay of him making a fabulous pass on Earl Bamber on the banking. Yeah. Very long-time setup, but he's got that pass that he can now replay over and over and over. I'll, I'll come back to the circumstances of that uh, in a moment because it ties in with a, our special show uh, coming up later on tonight. A quick word about uh, Daytona Prototype uh, International and the sharp end of the field. Uh, we have seen that the summer months seem to suit Mazda and the change of uh, leadership at Mazda, uh, both at the top of Mazda Motorsports and in the name of the team. It is now just Mazda Motorsports and Multimatic taking over completely the responsibility of the running of those cars. Are we seeing the start of another summer of Mazda? Yes. Uh, to put it simply, I crunched all the fastest lap times from every class and, and split it all down between cars and manufacturers. The four Mazda drivers were among the six fastest drivers over the course of the weekend so clearly the car was very much happier in the conditions than some of the other cars were now the other two drivers in the top six Sebastian Bourdais and Tristan Baudier both driving Cadillacs and then the next two cars following that were Acuras yeah. so it was a very interesting spread but clearly 
the Mazdas were the car to beat for that race. They, they had from the moment that the, the, the green flag dropped. I mean, it was just an extraordinary thing to watch. I don't think they put a whale wrong, did they? No, not that I can think of. Um, and once again, they went with the strategy of splitting the two cars and, and the drivers in the way that they handle it, where they started Oliver Jarvis, put Nunez in for the middle stint. And by the way, his fastest lap was only a half a second off the fastest lap time overall, whereas the slowest driver in the field, Gabby Chavez, was 2.6 seconds off the fastest lap. So even though Tristan wasn't the strongest driver of the Mazda group, he still was one of the strongest drivers of the race. Then they put Ollie back in for the finish. Well, the winning car was starting with Jonathan. He did a strong stint, Bomarito to start, and then Harry to finish, and Tinknell again doing a very solid yeah. job. So it's interesting to see the team split the strategy like that and how it paid off for both of them ultimately. Uh, I thought Gabby didn't do a bad job at all, actually, as a, a late sub. Not a great uh, weekend for Acura Team Penske. It promised a lot, but of course we saw one of the cars out early on behind the wall with, uh, you know, we haven't got necessarily to the complete bottom of it, but it, you didn't have to be Sherlock Holmes or CSI Daytona Beach to think that that might have been an engine problem. Well, they had a little 4th of July barbecue, John, and there were fireworks going off. (laughs) So, no, but again, looking at the numbers for that car in particular, Ricky Taylor was 1.4 seconds near enough off the fastest time, and Elio was 2.3. So that car was sick from a long time back, whereas the sister Acura was 0.6 and 0.8 off of the fastest lap time. The seven had some issues to begin with. As far as GT Daytona is concerned, it was a similar run to what we saw with the Mazdas in DPI with the Im Vassar Sullivan Lexus RCFs really finding uh, their their feet and hitting their stride after a a, a quite scary uh, run into the start of the race for particularly Townsend Bell, uh, Jimmy Vassar and some other members of the team who'd been across at Indianapolis. They had a cabin pressure problem on the private plane that brought them down uh, in a controlled way, but not where they expected to. They landed at Jacksonville rather than at Daytona Beach uh, Airport right behind the the speedway and then had to dash down in a a higher car. But, uh, I mean, that was it. That was was all the problems that they had all, all evening. Yeah, they got all their bad luck out of the way all in one go. I think they'll be aiming for that for uh, more future races. I mean, Aaron Tielitz, what a superstar. The kid comes in for a full season opportunity, his first full season opportunity in sports cars, doesn't put a wheel wrong all weekend, and ultimately it winds up in he and Jack Hawksworth teaming up to take the win. There was only one other duo that was stronger than Hawksworth and Tielitz, and that was Paul Holton and Corey Fergus. Corey, the pole sitter, but uh, that car got dropped down throughout the start of the race because they missed the pit exit time. Basically, what that means is they had to start a lap down, so they had one hand tied behind their back, and we believe that these issues stem from them not being able to turn the car on when it was time to go. So that's something that they'll be looking into before we get going back at Sebring again. But Paul and Corey were the strongest driver combination despite starting out a lap down. 
Uh, I'll come back to GT Le Mans and their race in a moment, but I want to jump forward again uh, to uh, to Sebring and the Michelin Pilot Challenge and the IMSA Prototype Challenge. Uh, give us the highlights there of the, the entry list for not this weekend, but next weekend. Yeah. Michelin Pilot Challenge, first race of the season, uh, first race back, rather, after their season opening four-hour race. Uh, how many cars have we got? We know there's a, a couple of cars that aren't on the list that we might have seen. Yeah, we had 51 at Daytona. We're at 35, which is a phenomenal number. Quite frankly, it's a lot more than I thought we're going to be showing up. Um, there were just a couple of big changes on the entry list that really jumped out to me. Chad McCumbie is teamed up with James Pesek for PF Racing. That's not normally the situation. It's normally Jade Buford who's in that car. Alec Udell will be driving for Windward Racing in their Mercedes-AMG GT4 with Bryce Ward. That was another big change. And then in TCR, where we have 13 of the entries, we do have the fourth Hyundai for Brian Herta yes. Autosports. So it's going to be a super busy weekend for that little team. Two cars last year. Now they're up to four. That's a big, big ask. Quick word about Prototype Challenge. Good to have the P3s back. It is. We've got 13 cars for that race, so down Steady. from 18 to begin the season. Um, there were some interesting notes on here, but the biggest story of all has to be Matt Bell, Matthew mm-hmm. Bell, British Matt Bell, who is still listed in the K2R Motorsports Norma alongside Naveen Rao. So if Matthew does come over from England, it means he might need to pack a bigger bag than he thinks. Yeah, and stay for uh, a little while. All right, I said I wanted to finish with GTLM and the, the race at the weekend. Super competitive uh, and, and effectively the race victory coming down to a little bit of fuel saving from Tony Garcia and Jordan Taylor in what was an epic battle with the 9-1-2 Porsche of Earl Bamba and Lawrence Vanter. Nick Tandy rolled the dice on wet weather tyres. I talked to him earlier on. Uh, in the week, and he said if he'd had two or maybe three more laps of wet weather, he reckoned he could have made that uh, damp weather. He he could have made that work. But ultimately, Corvette versus Porsche, BMW in the mix, but not right in uh, in the mix. They'll be a bit disappointed. But at the front of the field, it was literally a game, a game of a couple of litres of fuel because Ollie Gavin certainly had the pace early on in the other Corvette. He did. And looking once again at the numbers, the entire field, every driver on the course over the course of the race within a second of each other for their fastest lap. But uh, Jordan Taylor doing the fuel saving in the first stint allowed Antonio Garcia to really turn up the wick in his stint, set the fastest lap time. The BMWs were there and thereabouts. They were second, fourth and sixth in the fastest lap times with the Porsche making up third and fifth. So it was a very even spread. But of course, Looking forward, we're going to Sebring, where a BMW has not won since the merger. So that puts a little bit of extra impetus on them to try and get a victory. Uh, we'll have Shea back in hour two for IndyCar. How close was it at the sharp end of the field and how important was that 100th IMSA victory? Find out by tuning in after, or staying tuned in, after this show tonight when Doug Feehan will be looking back at that victory in an exclusive interview uh, with us here on Radio Show Limited. He's a little taster of what Doug has to say. This is the first time in two years that we felt we had a car that we could actually be competitive with. 
for the last two years, we've had to try and figure out a way to win with a car that wasn't competitive based on the performance that we had been given. To their credit, IMSA and other the other manufacturers, we have worked tirelessly in that time off to put a finer point on how they determine the BOP. This was this was a monumental win for us on on so many different levels. A hundred victories. I mean, who'd have thought? Okay, but we're there. We did it. I, I can tell you this right now, from where we are, and and I don't mean this to be, you know, it, from a braggadocious standpoint. 101 is not going to take us as long as it took us to get from 99 to 100. Okay? <laughs> it just it's, it's just not going to happen. We 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 can't we can't allow that to happen. Uh, we we are we are we we can't wait to get the Sebring. Uh, that's the 100th victory, 100 not out for Corvette Racing in IMSA competition. Comes up straight after this show tonight here on RS1. Thanks, Shay, and we'll have Shay back in the next hour. Midweek Motorsport, it's Series 15, Episode 27. And up in London, uh, we still have Tim Gray. And where to next, Tim? Now it's time to review the uh, Austrian Grand Prix uh, in the company of our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hurrah for reviews. Uh, <laughs> let, let, let's do that was, this. That was a bit subdued, considering it was quite, it was quite an... Um, I was un- going for classy. Oh, you were going for classy, were you? Okay, yeah, so I was going for like BBC announcer style. Hello there, and welcome to BBC Carbon Fibre Triangle with our review of the Austrian Grand Prix okay. number one. Where do you want to start, Tim? I'd like to start with Haas, because in the <laughs> first uh, Formula One preview show that we did this year, the one back in February, uh, I said that uh, it looked awful and would be um, the worst car on the grid. And I was pretty much right, wasn't I, Nick? It was certainly the most dangerous car on the grid, um, as it suffered, from, well, it suffered from total brake failure. Oh, yes, twice, yes. Um, and, and not being funny about this, but I always think brakes are quite important in a racing car. <laughs> Almost yeah. as important as being able to go is actually being able to stop. No, no, no. no more it's important more important being able to, to stop. stop than to be able to go. No one has ever hurt themselves not going. I don't know, <laughs> JJ Leto in uh, 1994 didn't have a great... Uh, uh, As, it, it's somebody it? else running into you when you're not going. That's yes. the worry. Yes, so, someone per, else yes, didn't so, stop, it, it, though. That's the thing. Yeah, yes, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, point law, yeah well, anyway, I think you know what I'm saying. Yes, I, I, can't, I couldn't agree with you more, more uh, Tim, actually, about that. Um, they, they had an absolute nightmare. Is that, down uh, to, is that down to the fact that they are really struggling for finance? No. No. That's it's down a, to that's the fact a, they've got the Ferrari yeah. engine, mainly. Combined well, with the car we, that's aerodynamically worse than the actual Ferrari. Let's let's cover a number of points. Um, first of all, let's should we start with we'll start with reliability. Yes. Um, I've no idea where they stored these cars. My feeling is is in a drafty lockup somewhere near Burton on Trent because. <laughs> well, are they rusted they the cars? Of Marmite. Well, they must do because literally, it's it, it. You can turn around and you go, "Well, hang on, why are you just all breaking down, not working?" It's not like you haven't got a team of people preparing these things. So the bulletproof reliability from the past, you know, what 
10, 15 years just disappeared overnight. Can I just say, Nick, that I did a quick calculation and your uh, Triumph TR4A IRS uh, mm-hmm. would have finished no worse than 12th had it been on the grid. Absolutely. My car, my, my, tri- my 55-year-old car can definitely do 200 miles on a tank floor with no need to change the tyres mm-hmm. and is, is completely reliable. I mean, I would have to leave the window down after I broke the winder last time, but, you know, never mind. Um <laughs> But, it's a bit of an aerodynamic uh, no. disadvantage, that. Uh, so, yes, the reliability was really, really weird, genuinely. The Haas car was pretty awful. And something I wanted to mention, so I don't forget this, because obviously the Haas car, Kevin Magnussen, um, with his brake fair, went off at turn three and, and, and called out a safety car. I was watching the race, and have I missed the memo which has said that we no longer have a virtual safety car? Uh, yes. Why on earth do we need a full safety car for Kevin Magnussen being 700 metres off the end of the runoff zone at turn three, when any car running at 40% below would never hit that car? Why do we need a full safety car for for George Russell being pulled off at the side? When it, you know, I absolutely need a full safety car for Kimmy because Kimmy had pulled, had conveniently pulled the car back over onto the main onto straight. The we could have easily left it on the other side because he wanted to walk walk less distance back to the pits. But the other two, what, why are we thinking full safety cars for these things? Why is that not a virtual safety car? What, I, I think what it's something to do with on? the fact that there were fewer marshals and rescue crews because of social distancing. Possibly. Possibly. No, it might be. But I just sat there going, this, why? It, it just, you know, it obviously had a. A fundamental effect on the race, um, you know, which was obviously a plus point for a number of a number of people. Uh, right. So going back to your previous um, other sub point about Haas and about having the Ferrari engine, um, let's let's much as I said last week, and 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 much as the media all seems to be pussyfooting around, the reason the Ferrari engine is down on power is because it's now legal, yeah, and they've stopped cheating. Hmm. They were cheating. Yeah. That, they managed to get away with it because Jean Tot is obviously a Ferrari man and, and, and decided to uh, give them a little bit of a, you know, a thank right, you very much. You can't much. possibly know that, but they were certainly caught cheating. More stories like that right, later. But, okay. Right turnover, by the way, says Ferrari's website lists Giovinazzi as sole yes, reserve uh, driver. Yes, I saw. I, 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 yeah, I that's had not going to break. Mm. But yeah, he's rubbish. So that's not me either. Um, so yeah, so Ferrari he's was terrible. He's survive at Alfa um, Romeo. <laughs> so yes, it, it was. It was inst- we, we obviously had, um, you know, instance. Uh, yeah, we managed to have, We had a protest at the end of Friday from Red Bull about um, DAS, which was thrown out. Then we had, um, you know, con- controversy in qualifying um, about yellow lights or flags being missed. I mean, I must admit, I mean, Lewis Hamilton must get really fed up with his teammates causing problems in qualifying uh, that he suffers from afterwards. Um, as Valtteri went off, and he was let off, and then you know, like the most unpleasant snitch in the schoolyard, Red Bull went, "I found this now." Mm. Well, have you seen have that? Moved Nick? away from Haas here. No, he's, yeah. he's moved away from us ago, and we're running yeah. out of time. So, well, we're not running out of time. We need, we need to talk about um, Alfa Romeo because you mentioned. No, 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 no. Kimi's he's, he's start, he started on the other stuff now. Let's keep. Can, going. can we we'll can we back. stick to the script, please, Alfa Romeo? We haven't got a script. It's I have. Motorsport. Well, you should have given it to us, then, I, shouldn't you? Right. If I promise to talk about Alfa Romeo next, can I finish my thought on Red yes, Bull? Yes, exactly. Yes, but we'll um, go back Red to Red Bull, Bull afterwards. Be moaning, I have to be honest here. I did feel a touch of, uh, I don't know, karma as their cars broke down after they had protested everything else. I'm getting very fed up with their attitude. 
They've become the Peugeot of the pit lane, haven't they? Alfa Romeo. And by the way, Lewis didn't improve his time, so he shouldn't have got a grid penalty. And, well, and it was... It's, it's, it, I, I, you know, it's, it, the point about that one really is, you know, it's, it's more the, the case of how it was the constant digging that, that Red yeah, Bull yeah, are yeah. doing. And yeah, it didn't benefit them at all, which I'm pleased about. So no, I saw the onboard that's and not Lewis what the had... That's is, though, is it? I saw the on board and Lewis had a Pico second to slow it down when that yellow light came on. Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo. Nick. No, you. Alfa. Oh, I thought, no, I thought it was your verdict. Alfa Romeo. Well, Learn to fasten a wheel on. Um, you know, they, they didn't, they, they got, they've got the oldest driver in the, in the field and the, one of the worst two drivers in the field and, and they underperformed the whole way. So, yeah, they're not going to be troubling the score as much this year, which is which is good news for some of the other teams who have who've, who've now very much moved into a three-tier system with um, Alpha, Haas and Williams in Division 3 and then the midfield Division 2 and the top three teams. Well, I say the top three teams. I mean, Ferrari actually are in the midfield teams, aren't they? So it's just the top two teams. I want to talk about the Ferrari mid- next because they had a woeful weekend and it doesn't look like it's getting better any time soon, does it? Well, they got second, you know, and the, that's, that, the points are handed out on the Sunday. They were uh, given no. second. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely... They, they, by, I suppose on pace they were around about fifth or sixth or something. They probably would have... You know, it's, it's questionable whether they're actually slower than Racing Point or slower than McLaren, but they're certainly not quicker than them, if that makes sense. No, no, and they're not I as reliable. Well, nobody's well, got any reliability at the moment, it would seem. No, it would seem that, that is a really good point. I mean, I think Ferrari, we, we knew they were in trouble. Uh, probably didn't realise how much trouble they were in. Now, and, and obviously they have scrambled to try and bring some of the upgrades that were slated for the Hungaro ring in for next week. So, well, four days' time now. So they are trying to upgrade the car. But it, it, it just, it just, the thing was, it was slow. So the, you know, the, if you if, if somebody very eloquently wrote something down, they said, yeah, these cars are planned 18 months in advance and then refined really and signed off six or eight months in advance. Six or eight months ago, that engine had 50 more horsepower. So the drag to power power ratios was fine. Well, now they've had to uh, lose 50 horsepower and keep the same amount of drag. It's a bit slow. Yeah. So, Red Bull. Uh, is that next? Yeah. You can do Red Bull next if you want. Yeah. Uh, well, they've got electrical problems, but then Honda said they had electrical problems, so I'm wondering whether they're the electrical problems where Conrod's taken the alternator off the side of the engine. Um, we did we will find out. So Can I just say problems Sorry. for um, Alpha Tauri, though, did we? No, and we will. And in fairness, that 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 slightly humorous point is actually no longer valid because, of course, if, they, if that had happened, they'd have to take a new power unit next week. Um, which they, if they don't have to do that, then we'll know it was an electrical problem. Can I just mention how many electrical problems Honda are having in their racing programmes around the world? Their Indy cars have been uh, less than 100% reliable in the first few races of the year. They had an issue, as we discussed, uh, an engine stroke electrical issue in the prototype and their Formula One engines. Um, have they had a bad batch of something? I, I'm, I'm being serious here. I can't believe the engines are built in the same place because the American engines are built in uh, workshops in California, aren't they? No, but perhaps the, the electrics or something. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm putting that out there. To see I, it, again, know. electrical problems is a wide thing. And, and in fairness, the, the onboard from Max seems to be more hydraulic problem to me from, from listening yes. to it. But, you know, you have to kind of believe what they say. Um, yeah, I mean, the Red Bull... Um, blustered and, and managed to argue their way 
uh, onto the front of the uh, front of the grid. And in fairness, they had pulled a masterstroke in qualifying to yes, get, get Max through on, in, on the medium tyre, which I'm pretty certain Mercedes will do next weekend. Uh, now they know the state of play of the various speeds. But um, yeah, unfortunately, we were, we were, like many things, we'll never know how it would have played out in a, in a, in a full yeah. race because he broke down. And and you know, what about the like Albon Max. incident? Oh, are we not going to do Racing Point? No, because Albon's well, the other Red Bull driver. Okay, well, oh, okay. this is this is the the, ma- the major controversy coming out of it was the incident at turn four five uh, between um, Hamilton and Albon. Albon went around the outside. They came together. It was front wheel. It was front wheel to rear wheel with Albon two thirds of the car past, and Lewis got a five second penalty. Start the Twitter storm, the forum storm. Is it fair? Is it not fair? Who knows? My personal feeling is that the stewards have decided based on the outcome of the incident, not the incident itself. Because I'm pretty certain if Albon had bounced off and carried on pointing the right direction and carried on going, even if he dropped back again to third or even lost a position, it would be no NFA. Also... Well, can I can I place before the 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 court there, and I want and and I, I I want to bring something else up on that. Can I place before the court court the the other um, incident, which is very similar at the same place, which was for the same track that was for the lead between Verstappen and Leclerc. Yeah, last year up at Turn Three, where he was no action. It was punted off, uh, and of course, all that happened was Leclerc went from first to second, and they're all atom letting race boys type thing. Um, and it's NFA. So, who was the driver, Stuart? I don't know. I, I do. I, I would it, well, let, let's. Um, uh, would it surprise you to know, Nick, um, <clears> if <throat> if the if the driver, Stuart, had an association with one of the teams involved? And would you oh, like to hazard a guess as to which team it was? Well, it's almost certainly Red Bull because every driver appears to associate with Red Bull. Well, that is that is fair point. Well, <laughs> a lot of them don't leave Red Bull on good terms, though, do they? No. Uh, who so was which the dri- one is it? Who was the driver, Stuart? Tim Gray. Uh, unveil the uh, golden envelope. Uh, the driver, Stuart, was Red Bull's Vitantonio Liuzzi. <laughs> oh, he doesn't like him very much, so probably not before he <laughs> Um No, I mean, I think I, I personally, having watched it, I, I if I was there, I thought it was racing instant cause, because Lewis was, was going round the corner at a speed. He didn't steer into Albon. He carried on trying to go around the corner, but you had the laws of physics. Also, there was a shot where it's very clear that Albon has at least three to four feet, which is a metre to a metre of 20 in uh, metric, of spare kerb and a bit of road. He could have gone out to his left. There was before and, the kerb. The overhead and, shot showed that. The other and thing, the, Nick, yeah, was... Sorry, and given the fact that all they did all, they did all weekend was be on every kerb possible, it's hardly like they were frightened about going on them. Uh, the, yeah, well, that's true. Um, uh, they, they're on board from, from Hamilton, and as anybody who's driven any race car will know, the key thing about that was... Hamilton committed to the corner, turned the car in, and then never moved his hands. And at that point, he's committed. He can't turn the car any further because all he would have done at that point was loosened off the back end and spun anywhere and took and and bizarrely took Albon out. Uh, question here from Right Turn Lover, which I, I'm not sure is true, so I'll throw this uh, to you guys. Wasn't Hamilton's first time in qualifying cancelled for track limits? So yes, the was. one under yellow was his only timed lap? Yes, that's correct. Oh, yep. okay. But right. you, yeah, I mean, but it's, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that, that was a kind of combination things going on. But I, I, I you know, go back to that one. I still think that was a bit it was very grey. But you know, he's 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 come down. They've, they've come down on the wrong side for 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 Lewis on both occasions this week. So you know, um, I think in fairness, um, the Mercedes team didn't manage the five second penalty very well. Terribly. Um, they got very concerned about letting him pass. He, they should have let him pass Bottas. They should use right. Bottas to back up. Uh, Leclerc, who wasn't a threat, whereas Albon was a threat on his tyres. Leclerc wasn't. They should have just let Lewis through, backed up um, Bottas, and uh, and just just made sure that Lewis wasn't five ahead. And they hang around. Going, I think oh, I don't boy. even think he had to back them up because I think they still had a bit of pace, even staying off the curbs, given that yeah. Bottas put his fastest lap of the race in on the last lap. The, the bigger worry to Mercedes, uh, both the works team and the other teams, is the relative fragility of their cars with the problems for some of their customer teams and the clear concern that they showed about the gearbox sensor or whatever the, the heck it was in those cars that they barely, barely made it to the end. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's interesting sometimes. Sometimes Mercedes are incredibly focused, but when things start going out of normal parameters, they seem to get very muddled, and they seem to have an inability of of thinking through clearly about exactly how to get the best result. And I think that they didn't... As soon as Hamilton got that penalty, they should have sat down and gone, "Okay, we are under threat. Let's let let him pass... Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can trust him not to get five seconds ahead because let's be honest, he's the guy who gave back a position to Valtteri in, in the Hungaro ring. So, and, he, and no one cares who crosses the line first because it's an innocent penalty. So they should have done that, but they, they backed out of it because yeah. they were worried about what was going to happen. And they have got these sensor problems. They say they're going to reduce it. They say it's a build-up of electrical noise, which to me um, is obviously vibration accentuate but you should there should be a way of reducing okay. electrical noise because plenty of electrical dampers you can put in the system but it's obviously not right. a level physics simple no, so that's okay. this I, year's I, ferrari what about last sorry this year's mercedes what about last year's mercedes that seemed to be faster than most of the rest of the field as well we're talking about the racing and you have, points. Race, and you have 20 race seconds pace wasn't, it's race pace wasn't as good as expected to be uh and obviously it was unfortunately they lost, they lost Lance stroll uh, who actually awful williams week, so well is less lost. awful as well yeah, they, they could redo that having Nicholas Satifi in the team because he is off the pace at the moment. He might get better. George Russell very unlucky to break down when he may have scraped a point. There's more likely that the recovering Seb Vettel would have still got it. Is there a team we haven't mentioned? No. Yes, we haven't mentioned AlphaTauri apart, so they didn't. Uh, oh yeah, we don't care about it. We didn't mention down. Renault, did we? Pierre Gasly, ah, Renault. Yeah. Uh, Ocon um, was anonymous, only got points because everyone else fell out. Um, Ricky Ardo looked good and broke down, but didn't seem too bothered. And finally, McLaren hiding a light under a bushel until the race. Uh, well, they qualified really, really well, and then they started. And then I think they had a problem getting the car rolling in the first few laps. And then once they got up and up to speed, um, it was a it was a very effective race. And obviously, Lando put in a fantastic last couple of laps, but he shouldn't have been allowed to because it should be managed by Mercedes better. Great tweet uh, from Lando after the race saying, can't believe I went from being a full-time Twitch streamer to third yes. youngest ever F1 podium finisher in a matter of days. Yeah, uh, very good. To which there was a great if response only, from Guido van der Garda, which said, installing Twitch. Yeah, very good. Uh, next day around, uh, we'll have you again for a bit of bikes in hour two, which starts right now. Midweek Motorsport. There's still another hour of this nonsense. Uh, yes, uh, an awful lot to fit into tonight's show. Don't forget, after the show tonight, Doug Feehan 
uh, joins us for an ex- exclusive uh, look at the 100th victory for Corvette Racing in IMSA competition. But before that, in the second hour, uh, we'll have Shea Adam talking about IndyCar at the Brickyard at the weekend. And we'll have Shea Adam talking about NASCAR at the Brickyard at the weekend. Nick Damon will be back uh, looking at some two-wheeled news as the season gets a little bit closer. Uh, your tweets, please, at Specutainment. And next, it's the big interview. And we're going to the ELMS and heading to sunnier climbs. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So it is just after nine o'clock on Midweek Motorsport. And as promised, here's the big interview. And joining us from the gorgeous Algarve, from Algarve Pro Racing, is Stuart Cox. Hello, Stuart. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good evening. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, Stuart. My goodness, you've had a lot of news uh, recently, and we'll, and we'll get to it all at, at the moment. But presumably, you're very happy, finally, to be making some plans to get up to Paul Ricard and do some testing and finally some racing in the ELMS. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very much so. I think everybody is. It's been uh, too long. But to be honest, the the time that this uh, situation has given us has actually been quite valuable to us and we've used it well to just go through things and, you know, have the time to be able to get on and do jobs that we, you know, keep putting on a list and never get done. Um, with the... Uh, ELMS schedule, then doing Asia, then getting the cars back, then going to ELMS again. It's quite tight. So it's been very useful. And that's actually a very good point because there is no off-season for a a busy professional team like yourselves because of the ability to go and race in other parts of the world during what we would call in in Europe the winter. Now, you know, in business terms, that's great. You can sweat your assets. Um... But it, it, it makes things very tight right through the year. Yeah, it does. It's, it's very difficult because, the, the, you know, money's hard enough to find. But <laughs> the one thing you cannot buy, no matter how much money you've got, is time. Mm. So time's always your limiting factor. Um, with the schedule for Asia, you know, we literally we did two days of testing after the Portimao race on the Michelin tyre to get ready for Asia. Then the cars went on a plane. Then they rocked up in China. Then we're straight into the China race. Then there's a few weeks, you know, everybody gets back. But you've got all your kit away, so you can't service anything yeah, good point. or prepare for ELMS because it's all in a container going on a boat to Australia at that point. How, how good is it or difficult is it to be involved in these endurance events nowadays? The ACO have, have worked very hard uh, and, and people like Zillant, Cyril Tashville and particularly in the, the Asian series have tried to to give uh, and I think did a pretty good job in in getting the Asian series sorted and and trying to dovetail that into a European season as well. They've, they seem to be, Stuart, aware of, of, of the difficulties and the logistics that it, it does, does cause I mean, the European the, teams. The job Cyril does is just second to none. He's so helpful. He he communicate his communications with the teams, his comms are fantastic. You always know what's going on. He gives you a heads up. It's always a phone call. There's a lot of per, there's a lot of personal effort put into it by him to really make you know that you're a customer and not just there as a you know 
I just feel very happy to work with the guy. And it's been a successful season, of course. Uh, yeah. Re- reigning Asian Le Mans Series champions, which importantly, and, and this is a consideration, of course, gets you uh, an automatic invitation uh, to Le Mans. Um, so, you know, job done there, Stuart, to be honest. Well, well we done. Didn't, if you remember, we didn't actually take the... We would have been given an invite for the race under G-Drive Racing, but we... Um, uh, we didn't want to race because we were only G drive for play uh, Algarve for the Asia series. Right. So this year we weren't going to. We didn't want to do Le Mans under the G drive banner, obviously because of the tie up with uh, that we knew we were going to have with uh, Goodyear and BRM. Mm-hmm. So we just uh, fell upon the mercy of the selection committee um, to see if they would uh, grant us uh, an invite, which they did, which we're very pleased about. Um, so that everything worked out for us. And that brings us nicely to one of your uh, many bits of news with Goodyear, the tyre brand that's won Le Mans 14 times and uh, has a very long and illustrious history of working with some of the very best teams in endurance racing and the watchmaker BRM, watchmaker BRM by the way, for those who think it might be anything else. Very lovely, very expensive uh, watches. How did that all come about? Let's talk about the, the Goodyear tie-up first, Stuart. Uh, the Goodyear tie-up came because we've run on the... Um, obviously, it was previously Dunlop. We've run with them for several seasons since we've been in um, ELMS. We haven't changed. Uh, we didn't really want to. Uh, we felt maybe last year their tyre wasn't as good as the uh, uh, Michelin. But now it's gone to Goodyear and some support we've had from them over the winter period. And also, we've done a lot of testing with them at the beginning of the year, back in February and March. Um, we saw their product was fantastic and we'd been talking about how we wanted to progress with them and they said there was a bit of a, a possibility of a tie-up and once you, once we sort of ran on their tyre and we realised how good it was, it was just a no-brainer to go that route with them. Mm. And practically speaking, what does that mean? Will we see the famous colours on the car? Will they be providing more technical assistance? Will you be doing more tyre testing for them? How will that work, Stuart? We've actually come up with a completely different uh, livery with the time with um, BRM. And the, basically, the cars are both black and white, but they're opposite. So where one's black, the other one's white, nice. vice versa. And, uh, you know, I think it's quite a, you know, when we've uh, we made a big effort to get um, a, do a nice press release down in the Algarve. We put them on the beach, on Everishtu Beach, both cars. Got a 60-cut tongue crane to carry them down there. Uh, 20-odd metre cliff face that they needed to go down to be nice. put onto the, the beach area and take some lovely photos photos of the cars. Um, uh, you know, the, I think it's going to, you know, people actually commented it's going to be an iconic livery, which it, I think it really does. It looks amazing. And, and the BRM, uh, the BRM tie-up, luxury um, and very exclusive watch, and there will be a special... Goodyear, BRM, Algarve Pro Racing watch as well. Yep, yep. I believe all the drivers are going to get one for the Le Mans. The Le Mans drivers will get one for the 24-hour race for participating in it from BRM, which is very nice. Um, we've got a couple of watches that will the uh, ELMS drivers will get as well. Um, absolutely first class, they are. Amazing. Yeah, very good. Very good. Let's talk about your drivers. Uh, Henning Enqvist, John Falb, Simon Trummer, Loic Duval, John Lancaster and Gabriel 
Aubrey are the full season drivers. Got to talk about Simon first because we thought we weren't going to have Simon. Thought you were going to have Simon. Then he thought he wasn't coming and yet announced a, a replacement for him for at least for Ricard. But it looks like he's, he's in for the whole season as was the original Mate. plan. He was, he's not, he signed up for the season, but the, the issue was there was a problem that arose because of the way the schedules and the problems the organisers have had to get the races in. Mm. Initially, there wasn't any clashes, so it wasn't a problem for him to compete in both championships. And, you know, it's better for us that he does, even though it's with another team, because he just gets more, more running. Yes. So it benefits him significantly. But then with uh, what happened, we saw that the ELMS announced theirs first, but then IMSA actually confirmed that their date would be uh, next weekend, yeah. or the following weekend. So it, we didn't believe that both races would be on the same weekend, uh, but they ended up having to be that way. So he'd already said yes to the team in America. He'd let me know that, and I was like, okay, fair enough. But we had a, we had a plan B. We, we were initially going to put... Um, uh, it was Andrea Pizzitola, wasn't it? No, we were going we to initially put in uh, Arjun Manny. Oh, okay. Uh, but he, but he as, as you notice, we've announced him as our reserve driver for the year. But unfortunately, India's having their spike at the moment. Oh, dear, so man. they're on big lockdown and he can't move. Right. So we, uh, Pizzitola to us was obviously a no-brainer, so we asked him. Um, but then Simon called last week, saying uh, a week and a bit ago, saying that with the... Uh, issues that he's got coming back to Switzerland and the quarantine now, that is there any chance he can run with us? And obviously, we, we want him in the car from day one. So Good. we just said, yes. I'm, I'm very disappointed for Pizzatola, who's someone who's been with us for a long time, but no, he understood, and there's not much more we can do about that at the moment. I mean, I mean that—that that is a, it's a good point that you make there, and you won't be the only team, and your drivers won't be the only drivers who are looking at a very compressed schedule, and effectively every series now has got to get a season's worth of racing in uh, probably four, four and a half months, so there's bound to be some issues with the calendar, and, and what even the calendars we're seeing now, Stuart, are still very much with an asterisk alongside them and subject to change. That must make planning no, very difficult to date. The annoying part is it makes it more expensive because ah. you don't, you you know, if you can be organised like we are, we try to run very frugally on money because for us that's the biggest issue we always have is a stumbling block. Um, so any planning we can do earlier, booking of flights and getting stuff done, you know, very early helps us uh, with a bank balance yes and at the moment with the way the flights are and getting people from a to b last minute they're changing the prices are changing so where you'd be <laughs> normally paying 50 quid you're paying 300 yeah so it's quite tight i had all of that when i was trying to get the boys down to recards and there's no uh, no weekday flights it's only friday saturday sunday monday and then they've got a route through somewhere else but fortunately yeah. there's another 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 flight just being put on as i was booking so i managed to get get the boys on uh, let's i mean okay that that's something that we're just gonna have to deal with uh, for this year exactly. and, and you guys are as, as good as anybody it's uh as you say making a quid go around three qu- corners which you have to do nowadays and fair play to you you mentioned uh, aaron marnie uh, Arjun marnie uh, for the the reserve tell me a little bit about about that young man and uh, and how he got on your radar? Well, you just had to watch him last year perform in LMS. He was absolutely rapid, like super talent. 
um, just needs more time in a P2 car. So we had him over in uh, the beginning of the year doing some testing. Um, um, and he was fastest in pretty much every session he ran, even when he was up against Loic and John Lancaster. Okay, there might have been slightly different fuel levels at the time, but, you know, his pace was outstanding. So he really is a star of the future. And great to see more talent coming out of that part of the world as well, Stuart, to be honest. No, agreed. Agreed. You know, we're going to try, hopefully, try and get him and his brother, um, Kush, into the same car for Asia. That's the plan, but it's very difficult because we don't can't plan anything yet for them too because of the uh, issues in India. Yes, yeah, indeed. And again, going back to what we're seeing, where you've just got to react to circumstances that unfortunately none of us can can actually influence. Just got to roll with those things. Uh, let's let's get back to the start of the ELMS season. Then, Stuart, it's uh, it's now just over the horizon with a, a couple of days testing, uh, and then uh, Paul Ricard. Nice place to open uh, the season. How are you just approaching the season? In terms of your mindset, you just have to basically put everything else to one side and approach the season in your normal professional way and almost take it each race at a time. Yeah, there's, there's no different. I don't, don't, I don't see it any different at all. The only difference is I should have been driving to Barcelona and now I'm driving to Paul Ricard. <laughs> Dif- different uh, different uh, place in the, in the sat-nav. Uh, instead. Yeah, another 500 kilometres more, 560 yeah. kilometres more. See, he's, he's planned it out already, dear listener. Um, what do you think the season's going to be like? I mean, we've seen in the last couple of couple of years particularly how, uh, how competitive ELMS is. You get no free passes in ELMS, do you? Oh, none. It is super tough. Um, how would you say? I think there's some really, really strong lineups. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how the tyres hold up because now we're racing. We're doing a lot more racing in August, July, August. Good point. So we're not normally out on the, you know, last year we had a tra- uh, race in. Um, Barcelona, but it was an evening race, so the temperature drops. The tech track temperature wasn't so hot, but if you know if we're going out on track now, you're going to be on 50 degree plus track temperature. So it's going to be really interesting to see how both uh, the tyre manufacturers' uh, product cope. Um, you know what we saw in the testing that we've done earlier in the year. Uh, we're, um, we're quite confident on the package we have. So it's, you know, basically all the bullshit stops when we get going, to be honest. Uh, and... I mean, we talked about this for the last few weeks on on Midweek Motorsport and on the, the Listeners Collective on, on Facebook. Given the uncertainty about flyaway racing and, and international travel, all right, you know, Europe, it's not perfect right now, but things are starting to get back to some kind of, of normality. Do you see more teams potentially, particularly if they're based in Europe, doing what Aston Martin have announced earlier this week, that they're going to do a couple of ELMS races to get ready for WEC, and potentially ELMS then being somewhere that that's teams might want the race because of the uncertainty of, of, of big flyaway races and, and adding to the to the competitiveness of, of the grid. Yeah, for sure. And it also, you know, teams like that have the finances to just do the odd races, you know, and it just keeps their drivers fresh and the team fresh. The biggest issue is, is most of the team where you, everybody's not, a lot of teams 
haven't had their staff together, so they haven't get haven't been working. They get a bit rusty, mm-hmm. um, which is just normal. You know, they haven't been working on the car for four months. You sort of forget stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is. Look at the Formula One race. You know, last year every single car finished. This year, what look what happened? Eleven. Um, yeah. Um, you know, things happen like that. So it's good for those teams to just get their, you know, try their hand at a different championship just to keep, you know, get everybody in the swing of it. Because the next, the big race for them is obviously uh, Le Mans. Yes. And I think they've only got Spa and then Le Mans. Is that correct? Correct for WEC, yeah. And, the, and, yeah. and it's, I think the ELMS are at Spa the weekend before the WEC. Yeah, weekend before. So it makes a lot of sense for them to stay on. I think it's the 9th of August, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the ELMS race and the, and the WECs the weekend after. As far as the rejig season is concerned, Stuart, it's, it's recard, as we said, next week. Then on to Spa in August. Uh, you'd hope you'd get some decent uh, weather at Spa then. Barcelona at the end of August um, is going to be a hot one. Then Monza in October. And then your home race, effectively, Closest to you, Portimao on the 1st of November. Um, yeah. Portimao, 1st of ne- November. Anybody looking at 1st of November might think, 1st of November in Europe, oof, dear me. But actually, Portimao then should be pretty decent, shouldn't it? Yeah, you could. Like, it's, it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be a beautiful sunny day or it'll be thrown <laughs> in with rain. So uh, you never know. It's always a toss of the coin there at that time of year. Five of five events then um, that have been squeezed squeezed in. It's a proper season, isn't it? Are you looking forward to the challenge? Yeah, motor racing. I love it. <laughs> you wouldn't do anything else, would you, <laughs> Stuart? You've you've done a cracking job down through the years, and well done for the Asian Le Mans title. And uh, and we know you'll be competitive in ELMS. Uh, this season. Best to Sam and to the rest of the team. Stuart Cox from Algarve Pro Racing. Thanks very much for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, Stuart, thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, IndyCar next, I believe. Uh, oh, okay. Or not? Or bikes? Bikes, I think. Nick, you still there? I am still here. Yes, let's do bikes as uh, uh, Shea had to nip off for a, a wee moment. She's been out on a bike, indeed, she but not, uh, not on the motor. bike, though, has she? Oh, a push. Oh, dear. Yes, I know. She did have to but wear a helmet, young. though, so that's all right. She's young. She'll She'll get the MTB it. trails. Yeah, rad. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Stuart Cox and Adam from uh, Algar Pro Racing for... Uh, that uh, big interview, good to hear. And, of course, Johnny Palmer will be uh, joining us for the ELMS preview, which uh, we'll have next week. Which is next, on next week. week, one day. Uh, it's in the <laughs> Just one day. Oh, one day. day. Not mean, every I'm day. I'm sure it'll be repeated many days, but uh, it's actually on, on Tuesday at is 8 it? o'clock on RS1. Is it? Yes. Okay. Right, better get... Make sure we get Johnny uh, in for that. If you really want, if you really want, you could have Indy cars because she is no, here. No, we'll do Hello, bikes Shea. now. Actually, before that, there's a because Nick sort of jumped around all over the place on the F1 review, and uh, <laughs> I, I missed a Red Bull story. All right. Which is it's obvious what Christian Horner has been doing during the uh, break. Why? What, what, tell me. He's been trimming his hedges. 
Was, he's got top topia, is he? If you have uh, this week's Hello magazine... Oh, right, Jerry's got a spread, actually. You will see some fantastic hedging in uh, their garden. They've got a huge greenhouse oh, as well. Dear, dear, dear. Can um, we just move on from that? Because I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've, nah, I, I'm not even going to... I think we need to move on. Hello um, to Neil Gardner, who says, Stuart's quite the character. Great interview. Thank you very much, Stuart, and good luck to them uh, for the season. Uh, moving on. Uh, big crop of raspberries as well that Jerry's got there. Excellent. Uh, so, MotoGP, uh, Cal Crutch, yes, though. About it. Yes, poor Cal. Going What's to Aprilia. Well, Dorna have said they're going to make sure he has a ride for next year. Right. Um, if he wants one, obviously, because he was... He, he was one of the riders who was kind of, you know, umming and eyeing about retiring, but now he's had five months off to finally recover from the multiple compacted injuries he'd had previously. He might actually be feeling a lot more positive about life now. Um, so sometimes, you know, an enforced longer break kind of works if you're sitting on broken leg, on broken ankle, on broken hand, on broken wrist. Yeah, but obviously with the Alicia Spargaro not yet confirmed, but actually no news that he's going to be joining Mar- Marquez at Repsol Honda and the fact that it's um, pretty much um, said that Alex Marquez, his brother, is going to drop down from Repsol to the uh, satellite team, um, which currently has Cal as his, as one of their riders and one of the Honda-supported Japanese riders who obviously will stay. Cal will be without a ride for 2021 and because obviously they want to keep um, the daughter would quite like to keep a, a, a guy, an English guy in a, top, in a relatively top-line bike, they are searching around for somebody to go and you're saying it's a Prilia, are you? Apparently so. Apparently, he signed a pre-contract agreement. A pre-contract agreement. That means there's a possibility of a contract. Oh, we've, got a, we've got an agreement that you might get a contract uh, at some stage in the future. A contract for a contract. I suspect he can't sign a proper contract because he's still under contract to Honda. Uh, yes, I think it's a contract. E- even though I everyone knows that he's not going to be staying at Honda. Yes, that's the problem. Anything yeah, I mean, more it's to weird say to on Cal Crutchlow? No, I'm. I, I, I'm. I'm st- I still think it's fifty-fifty whether he'll actually continue. He was very close to, to retiring for injury reasons. Mm. Yeah, but as you say, Dorna want a Brit, and Bradley Smith is also retiring. So yeah, don't forget that um, all the World Superbike boys have now been re-signed up again because we did see after our conversation about Mark Van der Mark, he has gone to BMW, but they've already signed up. Uh, Scott Redding for Ducati for next year as well. So um, he's the obvious Brit who could step up into MotoGP. That's not happening. Same with Johnny Ray and Axe Lowe's. They've been re-signed as well. So WSB have really gone for you know, as much as possible continuation uh, apart from the, the Vandermark move. Uh, Matthew Hyman says, you do wonder if Lorenzo had known about a COVID-19 uh, event when he retired. He might have stuck around for one more year. Well, you know, it's weird, isn't it? It, it, it? There are we've seen a number of riders who've had to give up because of compounding effect of injuries. Um, Danny Pedrosa is the most obvious one of those. Um, sometimes, yeah, getting six months off or five months off can be what you need in this environment. But uh, then again, of course, if you decide to do your practicing on a, on a uh, motocross bike and break your collarbone like uh, 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 Andrea de Vizioso, uh, got that wrong, too many syllables in that name, uh, as Dovi did, um, it can backfire. I'm still not convinced of Lorenzo. We've seen the last of him. I think he'll be back somewhere. Mm. Not this year. But well, next year, possibly, yeah. Not this year, no. Uh, let's do this. 
The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Big news. Yeah. The fastest bikes in the world will return for an even bigger MotoGP Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas on April the 16th to the 18th. They aren't the fastest bikes in the world anyway. Well, are they the fastest Drag racing bike. bikes? Are the fastest race bikes in the world? Yes. Okay. So, you know. This is, this is a press big. release which hides the fact that uh, this year's MotoGP at the Circus of the Americas has now been cancelled. Really? Yes. Are you? Having, uh, oh, yes, been, of course. They, 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 you're right, they called it off um, three weeks ago, didn't they? Having been postponed uh, to November the 15th um, and then turned into a double and then triple header, uh, it's now uh, gone completely. Right. Yeah. Well, yes, well, fair enough. I mean, again, the movie going to the Americas is not really on for the moment, as that nope. is the epicentre of the problem at the moment. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of them, yes. Well, no, it is the one, really, at the moment. If you, if you look at Brazil, Mexico and the US, I mean, I'm not saying they won't improve, but they are currently the ones with some of the worst problems. It comes to... it. Uh, the Ryder Cup was being cancelled today, uh, the, the major international uh, golf tournament. So that tells you how bad things are. Well, that's right. I'm, I'm out of set. Should that have been in the US or in, or in, in Europe? That's a good question. I can't remember where it was I, meant to be this year. Neither can I. Sorry. No. I mean, it, either way, I'm sure the, the problem is, I'm not sure how well it works without a crowd, because it's all about the crowd. Oh, absolutely secondly, agree for the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And secondly, it also, of course, there's an issue with, with getting all the participants to the other continent. Well, so. well um, having read through a bit of stuff today in relation to motor racing and about drivers who are flitting backwards and forwards between continents at the moment with apparent gear banton um <laughs> i uh the u.s uh advice from the cdc which is what all the race series are going by uh the quarantine is only advisory so you don't as long as you can get entry if you're on the list to get in you don't actually have to have the quarantine of two weeks which everybody's been talking about um, it's only advisory. I mean, it's up to you. It's your responsibility. And I dare say some of the teams and possibly even some series might say something about it. But there are drivers and other sportsmen who are whizzing backwards and forwards any time they can get on a plane from the US to Europe and from Europe back to the US. They're allowed to get away with that if, they're U, uh, if they are EU residents. Uh, it's only US residents who can't go to Europe. Apparently, but also a UK resident would have to quarantine coming back from the US at the moment into the UK. Yes, correct, um, but not into the EU. Correct, no. and and going back the other way, the two weeks uh, quarantine from Europe is only advisory. So it is possible to do, and there are people who are doing it. I'm not sure how responsible and sensible that is and I'm not sure as I say what the sanctioning bodies you know, IMSA worked so very hard at the weekend as we heard many times to to try and keep the, the biosphere um, and I'm looking at what Formula 1 did I mean that that was extraordinary with pit reporters not allowed into the pits uh, and drivers only being allowed to consult with their, the other driver 
their manager and their uh, physio and not even consort with their engineers. That had to be done on Zoom. So different series are doing it different ways. Sure, you you kept an eye, particularly you were talking to the PRs at uh, at Daytona at the weekend, a few people tweeting about what happened and whether there was any COVID testing going on. There wasn't any specific COVID testing going on at the weekend, but they were doing temperature checks for people going into the paddock. Uh, yeah, as far as Daytona is concerned, it was even before getting into the paddock, it was being allowed into the track. The gate that's on the outside of turn one, NASCAR turn one, you know, the the main gate, uh, had NASCAR and IMSA staff there with full-fledged uh, face masks on, as in like something you would see when you're spray painting a plastic shield. And they were taking temperatures of every single person coming into the track to make sure that they were good. In addition to those people who had to get a COVID test that came back negative within five days of the event taking place. So there were a lot of precautions that were happening both before and at the event. And there were CDC officials walking around Daytona, by the way, as Ah, well to try and mandate. There had to be six feet between the pit boxes. um, And so there were gates set up. And then there was extra efforts to make sure that the gates weren't moved because we know how people are on the pit lane. If they see an extra inch, they're going to take it. (laughs) Um, But this space was respected and everybody did maintain what they were supposed to do. Uh, We'll come back to that in a a little while. Let's finish up that MotoGP story that uh, uh, is hiding the lead that there isn't a MotoGP in America this year. And without that uh, MotoGP in Kota in November, that means that there's a spare date on the MotoGP calendar. Which originally was going to be Creventic, of course. Or in fact, it wasn't originally. Yeah, it not wasn't on the Kota calendar. Kota obviously still can't host anything. The MotoGP calendar uh, means that... Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. yes they are now able to... Uh, have a race in Thailand. Really? On November 21st and 22nd. Really? Okay. Uh, Right, okay. And the band played Believe It If You Like, but all right. It's a possibility. Tom Firth says, by the way, that story that you've just been doing is to let Alex Marquez go to LCR. Then they can keep, isn't it, uh, Nakagami. uh, um, It'll be Paul, not Alex, who'll be going to Honda, Alex will be staying at Prilla, Can will be, Cal will be replacing Iannone. We're back to the magic roundabout again, aren't we? Most of GPs are like that. And just I think, know. six months ago, we were talking about how everyone was locked into long-term contracts yes. in MotoGP, and mm-hmm. we knew everything that was going to happen in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. It all changed. The world changed in so many ways in a very short period of time. Let me move on to IndyCar in a second, uh, Tim. We can move on to IndyCar now as uh, Shay's well, made her return. Well, but just before that, can we remind the listener what's on tomorrow? Tomorrow at 8 o'clock, it's a tour radio show. Uh, yes. And this week, it's the turn of Jordan and, and Matt. Matt. Uh, and they will be talking about uh, F1 2020, obviously. Uh, the game. The game, yes, not yep. not what Nick Damon was talking yep. about, uh, yep. and also uh, they're briefly going to mention Assetto Corsa Competizione, but I think it's going to be mostly F1 2020. 
there is uh, a new GT4 pack for ACC, so there I is. think that's what they'll, they'll be. They'll brush over that and talk about F1 2020. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we've got an on the grid tomorrow night at 9 o'clock as well. Uh, with uh, a partial lockdown in Australia, what's what uh, kind of uh, effect is that going to have on supercars and more grassroots racing as well? Just as they were starting to get into their grooves. So that's eight and nine tomorrow night, ten o'clock tonight. Doug Feehan and a century of winning uh, in terms of victories. Uh, not necessarily 100 years, but it's 100 IMSA victories for Corvette Racing. Exclusive interview with Doug Feehan coming up. And we'll have uh, Tonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor as well, which leads us nicely into... Can we say goodbye to Nick now? If you want to. Bye-bye. It will mean that when we do our preview for the 12 hours, it'll have to be with Shay, which seems counterintuitive. All right, st- stay yeah, out. I'll, I'll fine. I'll stay. Stay. I'll, I'll, are we not reviewing? We're not reviewing the other thing we're doing this weekend. The other two things we do this yes, weekend. Yes, we've got well. lots we'll of things to do. We'll talk about all the things weekend. we're doing this weekend. But Nick obviously has preventic pedigree. Right. Okay. Uh, let's do a bit of IndyCar first of all. Uh, an historic weekend uh, for IndyCar and NASCAR as they were on the same bill, the same track. And certainly for the Xfinity and IndyCar, they were even on the same circuit configuration at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The new, improved and very shiny Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, for, since uh, Roger Penske has taken over Shea Adam. Uh, even from the TV pictures, it did look rather spiffy. It really did. It had that uh, recently refurbished shine <laughs> about it, didn't it, John? That just, that just new racetrack smell. Yeah, they uh, they had to use a lot of freshener for that. It was a good weekend though for the IndyCar series getting to run. Uh, it was it felt like more track time than they've mm-hmm. been getting. Now the previous race was on an oval and it was a month ago, so it has been a while. Uh, but they did get the practice session and then they got qualifying and then the race. So it did work out to be a fairly neat and tidy little bow that they tied on the weekend. And um, RTL, I think it was, at one point asked me um, why I always pick Dixon to win. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't always pick Dixon to win, but I did pick him to win Texas and Indy Road Course before the season began. And guess what? He has. So hey. I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> uh, he, he, he drove a stunning race. He did the thing that he does with making fuel. Uh, was he fortunate with where the yellows fell? Possibly. But got to be in it to win it. Deserve to win that race. Well, you can't say that because he's. He's You can't say didn't deserve. You've got to be in it to win it. But and he's been second at that race the last three years. He deserved to win it before the season even began. What a difference a year made for Simon Page, you know, though. Um, Absolutely on top of the world uh, at Indianapolis last year, and it was a fighting performance from Simon. But that's you know that was uh, that was that was what he had to do. Yeah, it was a rough day in the office from a couple of people. Simon, with a a big asterisk next to his name. Uh, Another one was Oliver Askew, who Mm. was running super well and was impressing people. He was in the fast six for qualifying. And uh, then his day came to an unfortunate end with a quite sizable crash, actually. He was complaining of a headache uh, when he got out of the media center, something that I'm sure his PR people immediately cringed on. Um, Will Power? 
doesn't yeah, just uh, just on Ollie, Ollie ask you, Oliver ask you right at the end of his stint, getting towards the end of his tyres, uh, I lost it coming onto the road, off the road circuit onto the the front stretch and uh, made yeah. heavy contact with the wall. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Will Power was another one who continues to have a bit of a disappointing season. He is 15th in points, uh, but the biggest heartbreak of the day for me and for a lot of people out there was Jack Harvey, qualified on the front row and looked to be driving the race of his life, came into the pits, and then the yellow came out. So he cycled to the back of the field, Uh, ultimately not a great finish for the young Englishman, but man, he turned a lot of heads with that performance. Uh, Problems for Honda drivers again, and we mentioned this earlier on about uh, electronic issues and and such like uh, Alexander Rossi again didn't have a particularly good run. That's two races in a a row where he hasn't had the pace and it's not necessarily been his fault, although he did seem a little bit out of sorts all weekend, to be fair. Yeah, no, completely agree with that. He never really uh, seemed to be comfortable with the car or or the situation as a whole. Uh, Two bad races in a row for Alexander Rossi, as you mentioned. But the good news is where they're racing two times this weekend. It's a track that Alexander Rossi kind of likes. So if he's going to have an opportunity to bounce back, I would put a lot of cheese on that one. Uh, and uh, Graham Rahal. Ah, that's who I want to mention. Graham Rahal ha- had some pace. He looked good. He looked. He looked. You know, the car looked good. He looked good. It was the Graham Rahal of old. He was. He was up there challenging. Yeah, he ran a different strategy. So he yeah. was trying to do one pit stop fewer. The other cars in the field who ran that same strategy couldn't make it work. But Graham, for whatever reason, he had the magic on his side, Certainly and did. he did seem to be a lot more comfortable with the situation, John. Uh, Tim, anything from you on IndyCar? No, should we move on to NASCAR? Let's do it. I uh, got to 20 laps before the end, before my recording ran out. I was fell asleep late. at the end of stage one. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, so, did you see all shit. of it? <laughs> yes. I mean, to be honest, I think we need to talk about stage one anyway, because that seemed to be the most exciting part of the race. Um, what, and before you fell asleep? And the big part of that, I mean, there was a long red flag, wasn't there, Shay? Yeah. And we'd yes, already we already had a two-hour rain delay. Yeah, um, and we should mention uh, the crew member that got hit in the pit Zach lane. Price, yes. Yes. He's the rear the... tyre changer for Ryan Blaney. Uh, yeah. He is recovering at home. He has a injury to his lower leg. Um, yeah. There's no details of what that injury is, but I'm told it's not broken. It's a nasty incident. The Jackman showed some, uh, on the right-hand oh. side, showed some extraordinary agility to get out of the way. A pile-up coming into the pit lane, which he, saw cars I mean, scattering that, all over that, the place. The uh, guy at the front should be on Ninja Warrior, the moves he made. Jackman is yeah. Jack, Jack Rabbit, is what she is just telling. Very good. Um, th- it, it, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Uh, it caused a, a red flag for, for some time whilst things were, were cleared up. So everything was running behind time. Uh, as as yeah. Tim said, that first uh, stage um, w- w- was probably the most excitement of the whole race. Yeah, uh, although I have to say I'd I was say. intrigued. Yes, the most eventful. Most yeah. eventful, yes. I was quite Fair intrigued point. at the end of the race with all the um, tyre instability that they were facing uh, that actually came back to bite Denny Hamlin. He was looking good to get his first win at the Brickyard. And then it was a tire failure that ultimately put him out of it, put him in the wall. Um, 
Kevin Harvick, four wins on the season. He's looking pretty hard to beat, but it also needs to be remembered that Denny Hamlin has four wins on the year, too. So it, it's been an interesting power struggle between both of those drivers, one for Ford and one for Toyota. Chevy is still there or thereabouts. Uh, they get their most famous driver back this weekend as Jimmy Johnson, who missed the race last weekend. He's tested negative twice on COVID tests. So he is allowed to race at Kentucky Speedway this weekend, which sort of an interesting little tidbit about uh, Kentucky. They've been racing there since 2011 in the Cup Series. Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Matt Kenseth, Martin Truex Jr. and Kurt Busch are the only five drivers who have won there. It's been one of those guys uh, every time since. Kurt Busch, the only guy with one win. Uh, Kenseth, too. But uh, there seems to be a difficulty in trying to figure out how to win at that track. Mm. So I, I just like that there haven't been that many winners. Just going back to uh, the, the weekend, uh, the, uh, you mentioned the tyre issue very much reminding me of the issues that Formula ha- 1 had uh, there a few years ago the diamond cuts on the yeah. uh, on the the surface apparently causing a lot of problems particularly with the right front and people getting vibrations very very early into the stint and there was a couple of of tire failures that sent people into the wall what i haven't seen I, I, well okay let me put that another way i'm not sure i've seen as much flame and fire as incident when there's been contact with a wall or with other cars in a NASCAR weekend for a very long time, though. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it did seem to be more violent. I yeah. almost hesitate to use that word, but it really it's was. It was more more spectacular when something would go wrong as far as a tire was concerned, that there was more of a mechanical reaction to it. It has to be something with the surface, though, because at Indianapolis, we always see tire issues mm-hmm. uh, aside from, ironically, IndyCar with the 500. That seems to Firestone has a much better grasp on the speedway. But even when I've gone to Indy in recent years with other series, we've had a lot of issues and more so with the sports cars and running the reverse course. It's been the right rear that's been an issue. Mm. But still, for NASCAR to see that many incidents... That's a little bit alarming. When did SRO go there for their endurance race this year? I, I think they were supposed to have been there already, but I presume it's been pushed to, to later on in the year because aren't they doing an eight-hour race there? Yeah, I think that's in October, okay, maybe the be a bit first week there. of October. Yeah. Yeah, but there's still going to be an issue because uh, it's – Pirelli and Pirelli is one of the manufacturers who has struggled with that tire at Indy. Okay. Uh, some calendar news for NASCAR. They've announced what they're doing yes. in August. Uh, August the 8th and 9th, back-to-back races at Michigan. And then the following uh, Sunday, August 16th, they go to Daytona, where they will race on the road course. And then the following weekend, they go to Dover, where it's another double header, um, Saturday and Sunday. And then the following Saturday, they're back to Daytona for the Oval. Uh, this is because there are certain places in the States that aren't necessarily completely open, I presume, Shea, is it? Correct. New York right now has a mandatory two-week quarantine period for certain for people coming in from certain states. Um, that grid 
has been increased as of the last couple of days. And now New Jersey has actually taken the exact same uh, rules and put that into effect as well. So it's pretty uh, iffy as to who gets to go to New York and when. And it actually puts a question mark on the Salem six hours of the Glen too, John. But that was supposed to, or that race is taking place two weeks after this NASCAR race was supposed to take place in Watkins Glen. So it's yet to be seen if that effect will still be taking place in September. NASCAR has made the move to go ahead and change their road course race from Watkins Glen down to Daytona, which is going to be a fascinating race. And to be honest, we have some really, really, really good road course ringers in IMSA. I'm thinking about people like Andy Lally, who's won five times at the 24 hours of Daytona. He might be somebody who's pretty darn good if you put him in a cup car at Daytona. He might be uh, coming yeah. away with a win. Yeah, and, and I, you know, we said it at the broadcast at the weekend, but I think all series have got to be complimented for how they have reacted to what has been going on and how they've had to change. Mentioned it with Stuart early on for ELMS. We've talked about it for the Asian Le Mans series, obviously WEC, IMSA, NASCAR, IndyCar, all the major series, including uh, Formula E. Uh, as well, and we've got a bit of Formula E and British Touring Car news to come before the end of tonight. Is that our uh, is that our American news, Tim? It or is. Would you yes. Like Shall we let Shay go then? So Shay can go. Okay. Thank you, Shay. Speak to you next Thank week. Thank you, guys. Best to everybody. Back to Koala Camp. Yeah, to Koala Camp. All right, see you soon. Bye. Let's talk about she's some of the She's been watching things. the koalas at uh, on one of the, I think it was Seattle Zoo, that she was looking at them. Go ahead, uh, Tim. We've got, what, quarter Let's of an hour Let's talk about left. some of the uh, things coming up this weekend. Oh, uh, yes. And we're going to start with something that we've never had before. Uh, two races on the same weekend at the Nürburgring. Two NLS races on the same yes. weekend at the Nürburgring, because obviously many series have raced on the Nürburgring twice in a weekend. Uh, but yes, this is the first time that the NLS has had back-to-back races. I, 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 I kind of like it. This is NLS uh, 2 and 3, the 60th uh, running uh, of, on Saturday it will be, of the uh, ADAC Rindels Langstreckenringen. And then on Sunday, the 52nd running of the ADAC, Barbarossa Price. Yes. Uh, but presumably both four-hour races, are they? Yes, they, they are. They both four-hour races. Yes, the six-hour race, um, I can't remember if it's in its original slot still or whether it's been moved, but it isn't happening until October. Right. Uh, 141 entries for the first round a couple of weeks ago. I have to say, I haven't studied the uh, haven't studied the entry list. Entry list. Where are we? Uh, that would be there. 11 or 7. Langstrecken. Have we got? Oh, an you don't need list? to because you're not covering this race. No, uh, but I kind of like to know what's going Bruce on. Bruce Jones and. Uh, Actually, it hasn't got an entry. Oh, yes, it has. No, it hasn't. Uh, it hasn't got an online entry Honestly. at the moment that I can see there. Um, but it's Bruce Jones and Pete Snowden uh, on Friday. Oh, sorry, on Saturday and Sunday, as ever, in sound and vision with our enhanced timing. And we'll get all the pages up nice and early again, as Tim did last time around. So even though there's you know nothing happening, let's say, on Friday there, we'll try and get the pages up so that you can bookmark them to to get to them uh so that's that is saturday and sunday at the usual times 
So that is a... 10.15. 10 10.15 start for a race... Uh, sorry, 10.15 broadcast start for an 11 o'clock green flag. UK Times there. Uh, we've also, in the virtual world, Nick Damon, mm-hmm. got the... Uh, VCO Motorsports, another one of the VCO Motorsports classics at the weekend. It's the 24 yes. Hours of Spa. 24 Hours of Spa, yes. Obviously, um, me and the boys did the 12 Hours Spa with Creventic last week, which we'll gloss over very rapidly. Um, as it didn't go Your sponsor all, wants but... to have a word, apparently. I, yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I, you know, let, let me just say that the uh, the car which I, I had in my first uh, stint was, was not pristine by the time I got it. Really? Yeah. Getting your excuse in early, okay. Um, so lot, it, yeah, so basically it's a 24-hour spa, iRacing 24-hour spa. It's looking like an absolutely bumper entry. It may even get close to Le Mans, so much really? so that they have um, rejigged their entire system to enable a longer registration period to avoid the problems they had last uh, at Le Mans, but they Very were good. overwhelmed by the 8,000 entries. So they got 8,000 people and 2,600 entries. Um, looking very busy. Uh, and of course, it's a single single class, but multiple cars. GT3 at Spa, 24-hour race set in October when the original race is going to be set, but not with the um, the clock extra hour. Yeah. yeah, so it is a pure 24-hour race with October weather conditions. Uh, we're starting at two o'clock, and I think we're just in Vision and Sound on the website, aren't we? Yeah, Sound and Vision. Uh, we'll have a link on uh, radio-show.co.uk. UK, uh, and uh, we'll have the enhanced timing up as well. Uh, that is the virtual. Uh, that is the virtual twenty-four hours of Spa. But that's not all we've got, Tim. No. Uh, can I talk about some uh, small single seaters? Oh, before right? I'm, yeah, I before am we... going to. So regardless okay. of uh, whether uh, well, you say I, yes I, or no. Okay. Okay. Fine. Now, last weekend. I was having a conversation with someone about the Formula Renault Euro Cup. Yeah. And yeah. I said, the championship this year is going to be won by Hugo de Vilda. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Since then, they've done two days of pre-season testing at Monza. Yes. My money is no longer on Hugo de Vilda. <laughs> or indeed any of the Arden cars, midstream? because they are awful. So you've changed horses midstream. Who who are you? Who's your money on now? My money now is Gregoire Sosi, right? Uh, who's racing for ART? He um, ART is always a good bet. To be fair, absolutely. Um, on is it a single? Is it a single manufacturer, single chassis, single engine championship, or is it still nominally speaking open? This has never been open. It's always been uh, one chassis, one engine, one set okay. of tyres. Okay. Uh, so Sosi was third fastest in Monday's testing, fifth fastest yesterday. Um, I don't think Monza's uh, his best circuit, but I think uh, he is certainly my favourite to win the championship. So uh, go and uh, put your money on uh, Monsieur Sosi. So, so this is the FIA Formula 3 championship? No, this is the no. Formula Renault Euro Cup. Oh, okay. Sorry, Formula Renault Euro Cup. Sorry, for some reason I had it. It was uh, in my head. It was Formula, Formula 3. Formula 3 started yeah. last weekend at uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Red Bull. Is it, is, it, is, it is it supporting another event, John? And, uh, John um, Timber, well, just let me continue on John's tangent of uh, Formula 3 um, 
FIA Formula 3 because uh, having seen the first two races of that I can tell you that uh, uh, Prima Power team might as well uh, uh, pick up the trophy now Yes, they did look very good. Uh, let's go back to Monza, where at the weekend... Yes, there, there is a support race to the Formula Renault Euro Cup at Monza. I, I, I'm not sure they'll quite see it that way around, to be honest. It's the uh, third round of the uh, of the Hankook 24-hour series, a 12-hour race, partially on Friday, partially on Saturday, but a fairly tight uh, weekend with all the practice and qualifying before the first part of the race on Friday, and then the usual Creventic thing of finishing off on Saturday, although there are Formula Renault races on both days, uh, I noticed, uh, in the rundown. It'll be Johnny Palmer and I uh, who will be uh, doing the commentary uh, on that this weekend. Have you had a quick look at the entry list, Nick? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, a, a 24 cars are entered. Oh, um, interestingly, the, the numbers added from... Uh, Portimao are at the, at the top end. We have, um, I think, seven. One, two, three, four, five. No, I completely lie. We have eight entries in um, uh, GT3. Three from Herbeth Motorsport. Herbeth, the famous team of 91-1993. They're actually splitting the Renauers between two of the cars. They're running as a three-driver team. So if you remember, the 92 actually won the Portimao event um, for the 91. And they've kind of split those eight drivers they had um Nine drivers, sorry, in those two cars, uh, over three cars for this event because it was only a 12 hour race. So they had, so it's the same guys, but over three cars. Um, CP Racing, the Americans, are also uh, slated to enter. That's Charles Patton, Charles Espinard, Dave Fouster, and Shane Lewis. I'm not sure if that's correct as far as Shane is concerned. He doesn't normally do the 12 hour races. Um, and we also have Car Collection back. We have Wokenspiel Team Monschau back. And interesting, we have um, Keep the Shirt. Interesting because they ran the Renault RS01. Oh, they've was, got uh, that dusted off, have they? Excellent. Exactly, yes. The car which won in 2000, and, I'm going to say 16. It might have been 15. 2016, I think it was Michello. Michello won. That's right. Um, yeah. And has made sporadic appearances normally with uh, Stewie Hall involved in some way. But this one is a Keep the Shirt Renault RS01. So it's a good old uh, entry. And a very, very, we've got Ferrari, we've got Renault. We have Audi, we have Mercedes, and we have Porsche. So we have the full gamut of people uh, in that. We have a few GTXs, which are all different cars, including a new KTM concept. Oh, yes, uh, I saw couple that. A couple of 911s. Um, That's it. That KTM's in a rather spiffy colour scheme. Yes, it's it? a, and it's a... It's a uh, very much important that they really want to sell this time yeah. and the other class that's got a huge entry again is of course TCR 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 TCRs very high quality Baz Cowton's back again which kind of was the one person missing from um, Portugal so we have a full complement of people for um, uh, the wonderful world of TCR but interestingly we have a number of, of, of TCX and um, uh, extra cars. We've got a Leger JS2 running. Got a BMW oh, what, so that running SPX. Yeah. So, running in it. so we've got. So what's happened is a number of people want to run somewhere. So we've got. And so there's a number of in the GTX and the SPX classes. There's a number of cars. So it's quite good actually. There's five or six people who are running effectively, just getting a run out in a class, which they'll have to try and balance during the course of the weekend, which would be interesting. Well, this is the first time the like has been to Monza, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yep, yep. Yep. It was one of the circuits that I, I think it's it's fair to say, isn't it, Nick? That's one of the circuits that the drivers asked about. Um, mm. And Creventic being Creventic, they've been trying to get 
there for, for quite some time and it, it wasn't on the cards. And then back end of last year, I think, Monza actually went to Kravenik and said, look, we've got a spare date. You've been asking us for a while. We'd really like you to come. Yeah, they got because it was originally supposed to be 27th, 28th of March, like the opening sort of race it was going to be in the season. Correct. But, um with what's happened and everything else. Of course, they've now, um, because Gravendic have been one of the first series to strike and, and, and put a, uh, a timetable together, I'm sure that uh, Monza was chuffed to bits to get them turning up. One thing they are doing, I know you saw the release today, they're going to do a parade lap around the, the old bank circuit. I know. It's really cool. But they need to warm the lizards first, though, because whenever I've been there um, in the summer, there's lots of lizards basking on the banking. So as long as they give the lizards a warning first and they can run the cars around, that's fine. It's up by six on... I think it's at my six on Thursday night or Friday night. I can't remember, but it's quite late on. I think the lizards may have slithered off. By I'm the... hoping so. Hoping so. You're a hoping. big fan of lizards, of course, Nick. I'm a massive fan of lizards. Yeah, I'm a herpetologist by heart. Absolutely. Uh, flying lizards are out this weekend at VIR uh, in uh, the first combat race for what's called, I think, the GT International. Uh, series as well. I- I'm looking forward to that over the weekend. So plenty of live racing for you at the weekend, virtual and full metal, with two of the NLS races on Friday, on Saturday and Sunday, with also on Saturday and Sunday the 24 hours of Spa in virtual competition with VCO. And then on Friday and Saturday, that 24-hour series race, the Hankook 24-hour series race, the 12 hours of Monza with uh, the qualifying and the first part of the race on Friday and Saturday. uh, We will have coverage of the remainder of the race. We will have some video coverage of the Red Oars as well, which we're doing just for Tim. And that will be on on the website as well. How Uh, sweet. The the audio schedule, by the way, is on the bottom of the front page at RSL uh, RSL dash, sorry, at radio dash show.co.uk for the the channels. We're using uh, two of the three channels this weekend. And that's all about... That's all we have time for uh, this evening. Thanks to our guest tonight, uh, Stuart Cox from uh, Algarve Pro Racing. Please stay tuned. It's going to be well worth it. Doug Feehan is box office any time we get him on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. And after the weekend where Corvette Racing clocked up 100 IMSA victories in North America, well, it's definitely one not to miss. And that comes up next. Thanks for joining us tonight. Enjoy our coverage over the weekend. It's all on the website. No time to explain. Uh, The Llama has got its Corvette racing cap on and it's got a fetching shade of yellow. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.